0: Hey there, this is a bit frightening, but I'm planning on having a stopping point for the game in the not-too-distant future. Not an end per se, but more like a good pause. That's not the frightening part. No, what's scary is this podcast is about the planning so that I can land the campaign right at that stopping point in a very satisfying way. What I'm doing here is sharing all the little facets and bits that I feel I need to have outlined or designed in order to properly accomplish that. For me, it's about coherence meaning what they're experiencing now as their characters prepare for their next delve will tie into what happens to them later. Months from now, in real time, I'll be able to listen to this and see how it all stacked up. That's what's scary, laying it all out ahead of time for later scrutiny. I don't do this often, but if you are a player in my game, stop listening now. I'll be talking all about my long-term preparations, including all the horrible things that I plan on doing to you. This is Anatomy of a Campaign. First, a flow of consciousness recap of the campaign. I'm going to try to keep it short and sweet and just to the elements that you need to know to understand the rest of my planning as I go into this final adventure before taking a campaign pause. The thing that makes my campaign different is that there was only one god for a very long time. There are no clerics or anything like that, because for several centuries, even that one god has disappeared from the world. The campaign exists in the wake of an empire that served that one god, and of course that empire started to fall apart once the power of the god. Vanished. furthermore what makes the campaign a little different is that the gods are returning but it's not just gods it's all manner of divine and powerful extraplanar creatures so we have Semyana, the fallen angel trying to become a god there's demons and devils that are trying to become if not gods influential they're trying to get followers they're trying to gain cosmic power as gods would do This is all new to me, I've never really run a campaign like this before, where the gods are really jockeying for followers and starting to re-empower people, and clerics are coming back to the world, but they're landing on the wrong side. But at the heart of all this is the threat, and the PCs have discovered this, that should that mono-god that had existed with the Empire, his name is Anu, should he awaken He will be transformed from a god of law and order to an oppressive degree to a god of chaos and destruction. And so there's this gray area where Semyana's goal, even though he's kind of the bad guy... Semyana's goal is to gain enough power so that he can either stop Anu from awakening and destroying everything, or maybe even defeat him once he does awaken. That core dramatic conceit was designed as a backdrop to the campaign. As the initial earlier levels and adventures and things among the characters really progressed, that moved from being something way in the background that was just a backdrop for a dying world, to be something that was a little more central. And it all culminated with the adventure in the Temple of Borlane. The party found, in essence, an etched map inside this old helmet from thousands and thousands of years ago. And the map showed all these places of power, which served as a kind of mystic defense. I think I'm subconsciously, consciously stealing from Doctor Strange, where there's all the, you know, like Doctor Strange has his house in Greenwich Village and there's another one in, I think, Hong Kong and London and all this kind of stuff where these places of power are used to protect the planet from mystical invasion by evil forces like Dormammu or whatever. Apologies if you don't know Doctor Strange, but if you don't, get the hints and learn Doctor Strange. The point being, they discover that these places of power, if they're consecrated to these new emerging gods, and especially if the god is a nicer god, that it has the ability to repel invasion from outside forces. And so that's their goal, that's what they're trying to do. In a nutshell, that's the foundational backdrop story which has slowly become more and more important and started to really take center stage in the campaign. And we're at the point now where the final adventure will be the second place of power that they're going to attempt to to consecrate to a good God. They don't even know what the God is yet, actually. They're at the stage where they're just starting to plan, just starting to identify where it is they want to go and what it is they want to do. And in this next section of the podcast, I've walked through, I wrote the script for it as I was thinking about what it could be. And I think I managed to capture my thought process as close as I could. It's a bit uh, free-flowing. It's a bit chaotic, I do summarize it later on in the podcast, so I hope this is at least interesting. I don't offer it up as a template for how you should do things, but I certainly hope it, um, it provides maybe some some thought on your part, maybe some inspiration for how you might want to uh, approach uh, an insane campaign of your own in the future. I've been working on a dungeon idea which I'm going to playtest with the group should they pursue the Skagros option, meaning the place of power that is located on the original island of Skagros just north of Outpost 9. And this dungeon idea, which was conceived not as part of this campaign, but I think can really port in well, goes like this. Before entering the dungeon, the party finds a small chest with a complicated brass mechanism on top. If they open the mechanism, it releases the mists from inside the box, which rapidly expand and move them through time. They find themselves in the same location, but thousands of years earlier. The hope, conceit, is that they open this box in the dungeon. Exploring the dungeon in the past, they discover it is the elaborate workshop of the person who invented the time box. In fact, the mist is employed throughout the workshop, powering various construct guardians. Deeper in the dungeon, there is a way to recharge their time box, because the key to the dungeon is exploring different portions of this facility at different times in history. From a story standpoint, this leads me to think this place of power is actually connected to a time god, that there are three time settings for travel. One, modern day when it is all in ruin and mostly functionless, though no less dangerous with the denizens of Skagros Island using it as their home. 2. A thousand years earlier, when the arcane engineer used the still-present energy of a slain time god to create all their mechanisms. And 3. 5,000 years past on the eve of the time god's murder, by Anu, when this is a fully dedicated temple in the middle of a war between gods. One of the challenges the party is facing right now is figuring out who will consecrate the next place of power. I'm thinking one good option is to bring a priest of the time god forward to the present. There should always be multiple ways to solve a problem like this, so we'll have to map out some others, but a reminder that this is me building a framework from which I'll need to polish and refine things later. Who is this time god? At this point, I pop over to Wikipedia. This campaign utilizes a bizarre blend of historical deities from real life and some D&D entities. The Morgan is from the Celts, Anu is a Sumerian god, Vasuki is a serpent god from Hindu and Buddhist traditions. For time, I'm dipping into Greek mythology, actually protogenoi or primordial deities who are two generations ahead of Zeus, I think. The god is called Kronos not to be confused with the titan Cronus. Kronos is the personification of time, often depicted as an old man with a long beard. Sidebar, I'm always amazed how real modern-day stuff is influenced by ancient mythology. I mean, this guy is basically Father Time as we think of New Year's Eve. But my favorite example of this dynamic is how Santa Claus is basically Odin. If you don't believe me, go ahead and Google it. In the mythology... <laughs> Which, to be fair, I don't feel beholden to historical accuracy here, but still. In the mythology, Kronos can create a silver egg which in turn spawns forth other gods of creation. I stir all of this in my brain alongside the needs of my adventure. For example, what would the temple of a god of time be like? How would it work? What purpose would it serve? Really, how is it distinctive from other temples? Divination feels like it would be the function of this god's servants. So I have this Oracle of Delphi vibe in my mind. But also, setting things going. This god has ties to creating other gods. Of course, my mind is also filled with a dangerous level of understanding about Einstein's theory of relativity and starts me thinking of how time is not so absolute a concept. That time is mutable, based on the speed of light. That gravity can warp time. Next random thought. Time is a perception. We actually don't know what it is or if it's real. We perceive linear time, but there are constructs and hypotheses where everything that has happened and that will happen already exists, that we come into this world with the conceit of linear time to experience life could Kronos be the one god Anu could not actually destroy because to do so would rupture all of reality? So Kronos is the god of time in so much as he enforces the perception of linear time for mortals. Okay, stay with me here, this is odd, but the way Kronos robbed Anu of absolute victory is he unleashed time from the predetermination of past, present, and future being fixed. In that moment, he made it so that the future was no longer, in fact, fixed, effectively trapping all of them, including Anu, in a reality filled with unknowns. No, you may not have what I'm smoking, you're far too young. How, then, do I take that very abstract concept and do something tangible with it in the game? How might something as reality-shifting as that manifest within the player's experience. If you have a reality with a time god whose purpose is to enforce linear perception in a non-linear reality, set another way, a world where fate is predetermined, and then you shift to a reality where the future is truly unknown, meaning we make our own fate, or fate is just random, as if people are just rolling dice, for example, what happens? Might powers having to do with chance rush to fill the void that fate has left? I have this phrase reshuffling the deck popping in my head. Could there be an artifact, like the Deck of Many Things, that was organized a specific way and now, with destiny and fate untethered, it keeps reordering itself in this new chance-driven reality? I'm far enough out that I can start to introduce this new deck of fate. For example, if they research the temple Kronos from the etching, they'll ultimately discover depictions of these cards. And reminder, I'm literally brainstorming here, cultivating ideas for the adventure to come and seeing how they might fit as I am writing the script for this podcast. Later in the podcast, I'll provide an organized pass at how I see it stitching together. The idea of a war between the gods and a time god unlocking fate so that maybe Anu can be defeated feels good to me. But it also feels way beyond the capacity of a 5th and 6th level party to deal with. They might not find out any of this for some time, but this is my process. I find that I need to understand this stuff in order to properly build out the adventure at hand. If Kronos is a god of destiny and the perception of time what kind of temple would this be? More pointedly, what features that could ultimately lead to interesting dungeon design might I insert? I love how the concept of fate, destiny, gods untethering reality leads me basically to come back to how does that make a more interesting dungeon. I think there should be scrying chambers. You know how the classic crystal ball has mist inside of it? There should have been a massive crystal sphere the priests could literally physically walk into and immerse themselves in visions. Those same mists are the ones being used for the time travel that occur in different periods within these these arcane boxes built by an artificer. The sphere would not have survived the millennia, but it will be in place back in the earliest time period 5,000 years ago. Exposed exposure to the mist needs to have varying effect. At the most concentrated level it can send an untrained user to a different time and place, but via wisdom checks I can construct a table of effect including divination, future advantage, on different actions, psychic damage, perhaps even possession by a ghost or ancestor. A big part of the adventure feels like it will just be figuring out how all of this works. The classic way to do this is to provide the journal of some long-dead researcher, and for sure I can do that, but possession in the mist might be another way. The spirit that is possessing them could know quite a bit, and a canny party might be able to suss it out from that. The temple should have been designed with a means to observe the stars as well. I think that sort of goes hand-in-hand with divination. I envision extremely high platforms with specifically designed glass to amplify the night sky. I think these would have fallen in modern times and the structures would be on the jungle floor, maybe buried. So I'm imagining the party moving through sideways towers, likely infested with Skagro's beasties. I don't see it actually having a real dungeon. Meaning levels underground that were built to hold people, but rather it's just overgrown. The main temple would be an Aztec-like pyramid, many parts of it having long since collapsed. In my mind's eye, I'm seeing only two-thirds of it still standing with a waterfall plunging downward into a deep crevasse. In the middle time, 1,000 years ago, the pyramid is still mostly intact and it might be on the verge of a catastrophe within the artificer's workshop that will cause the crevasse and blow apart sections of the temple. Nothing wreaks havoc on verb tense like time travel. When I design the location map, I'll need to think of it with time travel nodes. The whole idea is for different areas of the temple to be accessible at different times, and for other areas to present varying challenges based on which time the party accesses them. Overall, it's really one dungeon, but it might represent more like three dungeons, because it'll change and morph depending on what time you're accessing the dungeon at. Love how I always bite off more than I really want to chew. The goal, once they realize what is happening, will be to collect enough cards from the Deck of Fate to be able to re-consecrate the temple in the modern day. Gathering a priest ally from ancient times will go a long way towards accomplishing that objective. The adversaries they face will vary greatly across timeframes. In the distant past, at the sundering of fate itself, the threats will be extraplanar beings like D.Va. A quick look at the monsterless on DD Beyond lets me know I will have to create some level appropriate versions of these, but the point is not to set this up as a stand-up fight. They are looking to get what they need and leave. Stealth or trickery will be better choices here. In the Middle Past, 1,000 years ago, the Artificer will have Automaton Guardians. There seem to be all manner of construct I can reskin to help me here. And in modern times, it is the Skagros creatures that inhabit the jungle. I'm a big fan of Kobold Press's monster volumes, Creature Codex, and Tome of Foes. I think there may be some excellent options for my encounters there. Things that are... Built out already, but fly in the face of the more classic creatures that everyone's familiar with. In other words, a way to throw something at the parties that they have yet to experience. Above all, I want to have agents of the Faithful of Semyana filling a role similar to the Nazis in Indiana Jones. They too want the Deck of Fate and will be vying for it. Could be that they're able to get back to the past as well. This is important as it helps tie together and create added pressure to find the cards before the enemy does. Through the lens of the PCs, how does this play? Firstly, this is the agreed main objective of the group. There should be no equivocation about getting this done. If they go to Skagros, it brings Sativa closer to Captain Nupo. Her personal mission is to find and kill the pirate captain. There'll be clues about the ancient dwarven clan Arkadin and the location, making this more relevant for Constantine. For example, what if he meets the ghost of an ancient ancestor as part of a possession, or just a scholar who thinks Constantine is from Arkadin? The followers of Semyana could lead to clues about the shield of Iona for Bryn. Voss will learn more about the fate of dragons, connections to clan Arkadin, and how this connects to her warlock patron, the Void Dragon. Jaras is the outlier. His personal goal has returned to being about locating his father. I thought he was redirecting to pursue his elven mother, but when given a chance to get and tell about her whereabouts, he passed, and again asked after his father. I continue to struggle with this, because his father is from the other side of the campaign world and Per Grayson was not a person of note. At this point I feel I need to concoct something about his father and seed it into the local region. It is valid when DMs do not force a PC connection to the world if one does not exist, but I want to do this for Jaris and help integrate him more deeply in the story. I'm thinking that his father is the captain and the followers of Semyana, who possesses Bren's family shield. High drama, that. A ridiculous coincidence? Yep. Maybe not what the players want. Maybe. Could be a hell of a cliffhanger, though, for the campaign specifically at the end of this adventure, to suddenly realize that Jarus' father is the man that has possession of the shield that Bren would kill for. Here's a somewhat more organized recap. The Background In ancient times, the Temple of Kronos sat atop what is now modern-day Skagros Island. Kronos was the god of fate who maintained time as a fixed set of outcomes versus free will for mortals. When Anu sought to subjugate Kronos to his authority, Kronos untethered time from predetermined destiny in an attempt to make it possible for Anu to be defeated. This released the temporal mist from the temple and keeps an ancient artifact, the Deck of Fate, scattered and constantly reshuffling. The dungeon, quote-unquote. The temple location will be accessible in three distinct time zones. Initially, it is modern-day, but the PCs will be transported back 1,000 years, the middle past, and eventually 5,000 years, the ancient past. Succeeding will be a function of accessing different areas of the dungeon during different times using the time box created by an artificer in the middle past time zone. Adversaries will include the Twisted Beasts of Skagros Island, Clockwork Guardians of the Artificer, and Celestial Servants of Anu in the ancient past as the players witness an actual battle among gods. Lastly, the followers of Semyana will be present, perhaps chasing the PCs through time. Jarus' father will be the leader of this contingent, a captain among the faithful in possession of the Shield of Iona. The Deck of Fate. The party will learn of the deck as a function of their research in Medier. Similar to the Deck of Many Things, it portends weal and woe for whoever interacts with it, but if you can find certain cards, they can be used to consecrate the temple to Kronos. This is what I have for now, broad ideas for the adventure. I need to work on the maps, the challenges, the NPCs and what I think of as the connected bits. How do they get there and what might happen along the way? A recent critical comment to the podcast asked, "Who is this guy to give advice?" I'm no one. I'm like a lot of you, just some dude playing D&D. I've done it for 40 years, which is not a credential. Maybe I've done it wrong for 40 years. I know a lot about storycraft. I do this stuff because I enjoy it. I do this podcast because I want to. Because I find private value in laying out my thoughts. This particular podcast tries to lay out my creative process not to teach anyone anything, but to share my thoughts. So please don't mistake this as anything other than what I describe it as. a look behind the screen of an ongoing d and campaign. And I'm making this all up as I go along. As ever...